My name's Andy. I see a, a few new faces in here I don't recognize. It sure is good seeing all those that I do recognize, and it's good to see some new faces too. Like Tanner mentioned, we're, we've been going through a series this summer called Gospel Foundations. And uh, we've been looking at, if you, if you will, the, the components of the gospel. And if you take out a component, take out, if you have a, for the guy's sake, if you have an engine, you take away a large component to the engine, it does not run, for the lady's sake. You're making a cake. <laughs> you take away the eggs, and it's going to taste different. That's just how it is. Now, when we look at the gospel, you see, the way God made things, and the way God orchestrated things, is that it is a solid brick wall we can place our faith in. You don't have to be afraid of, well, what if this doesn't work out? Or what if this doesn't work out? Will the whole thing crumble down? No. God is sure. He's trustworthy. But it is one unit. And I apologize if, you, if this is your first time here because you're, you're, you're going to see part of the brick wall. Okay, we started out with God's character, which is essential. You don't understand God's character, you do not get the gospel. And from there we went to these past couple weeks, we've been looking at man's character. You don't get your character, you don't get the gospel. And tonight we're going to continue with that. Um... Uh, you know, I would be foolish and in the flesh if, if I didn't pray before you. Um, talking about uh, Scripture that we're going to be talking about this evening, it is really tempting to um, water it down. And it's tempting to uh, gloss over some of the words that God has written. But one of the things that we are committed to is teaching the whole Word of God. I love you, and I want you to know it all. If I didn't love you, and I loved me more than you, Lord, help me, I would hide things from you. That's what you do when you love people, is you tell them the whole thing. All right? And, and tonight, if, and if you're through this summer, stick with it. This is going to, be, it's going to be harsh tonight. And if you know me, I'm not a harsh guy. But I'm bound to the Word of God. What am I going to tell you? My opinion? You don't want to hear my opinion. You, want to hear, you, you came to hear the Word of God. That's what we need to hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I take very seriously, Lord, Your Word. I love Your Word. Lord, I ask that um, this evening for the ability to walk by Your Spirit which is within me and which is within many people here, Lord, so that we do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Lord, your word is a healing balm. Tonight, it is, it's a rod, a wrathful rod of correction and destruction. And Lord, may your word be taught clearly and truthfully, because in that you are honored. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Um, 
a while ago, I was sharing the gospel with this fella. And he kind of was starting to shut me down. He didn't want to hear any more. And I said, sir, if you were driving down a road at night, and, there, and there, the bridge was out, would you want to know the bridge was out? And he said, I don't think so. I was like, why not? He said, wouldn't that ruin the ride? It was like one of those like, really cool cliche things to say. But what is that? If you are headed towards something, man, and it is destructive, and you still don't want to know what it is, you know what that is? It's rebellion. We looked last week at that man is, because of, well, one thing, we are created. You didn't make yourself. You're created. You know what that means? It means you're owned. It means you're accountable. You're not doing your own thing. You're accountable to your creator and to the, what he puts upon you. We looked at that break. Sin entered the world, and through one man, Adam, sin entered, and to all men, sin has spread. To me, and I know it, and it wouldn't take long for me to prove to each and every one of you that sin has touched you too. Touched you, it has infected you. The Pharisee said, woe is me, have mercy on me, Lord, I am, I am a sinner. We are rebels. We, uh, Colossians and Romans says that our sin is enmity. It is hatred towards God. I have been thinking about that. It has haunted me all week. I pull out of the apartments, Dan, and I coast through the stop sign that really shouldn't be there. You know, there's stop signs that don't make sense. And I thought as I coasted, wait a second. God has put government over me. The government has put this stop sign here, and I coasted through it. Here's the big idea. David said, against you and you alone have I sinned. All sin, all sin is hatred towards God. Let's put some flesh on that. You break the speed limit on purpose. You think you're fooling the cops? No, you're saying, God, I hate you. That's the essence of it. You go through a stop sign, a stoplight, you get an argument, whatever it is. Yeah, you've sinned against a person or against a government, but who ultimately put that there? God did. You break it, God says, that's against me. David had it. He committed adultery and he said, against you and you alone have I sinned. He killed a guy, had adultery, but he got it. Yeah, there's consequences, and he hurt people terribly. But it was hatred towards God. It was rejection of God. Sin makes us haters of God. What else does it make us? It makes us lawbreakers. As the creator, he has put, as the judge, he has put a law in place. What's the first commandment? What is it? What is it, Rick? You shall have no other gods before me. What did Jesus say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. If God is holy, and he is, he wants 
all of your love, all of your strength, all of your mind, because anything less than all would be an acceptance of less than what he is deserved of. You are not doing that right now. Do you realize that? You have never in your life, on your own, loved the Lord your God with everything. You've already broke the commandments. We could go on and on and on. We're lawbreakers. We're enemies. Tonight, we're going to look at, um, lastly, we're criminals. For breaking the law that, that makes us criminals before a holy God. Um, why do we skip over and why do we gloss over these subjects? They're not comfortable. I'm not comfortable teaching you this. And the truth is, is one, a couple of the reasons. One, we're, sometimes we're just, we don't study God's word. We don't realize the depth of our depraved nature. You look at how holy God is and you're like, wow, I never saw that before. If you read God's word, it elevates him. It's amazing. And then you look at yourself and you're like, I never saw that before. Really, Andy? I'm a hater of God? That's what God said. The other reason is because we love ourselves so much. We love ourselves more than we love others. The second commandment is what? You should love your neighbor as yourself. You love yourself. And you love yourself so much that we are afraid to tell people the hard truth. Because if we told them the hard truths, what would they think of us? Some of the greatest loving things you can do to somebody is tell them the truth. But because we do not love people like we love ourselves, we hold back because we love ourselves. This is some of the things that we talked about last week. God does not gloss over things. He tells it like it is. God doesn't just talk about sin. He says, I hate sin. If he is a holy God, his character is totally and absolutely pure and holy. Then he must hate anything that would strive for... um, would go against his holiness. That's why he hates darkness. Because he is light. He, is, he, he shrouds himself in unapproachable light. And he hates darkness. Okay? Do you love... I've heard this illustration. I think it's what good. Do you love babies? I love little children. I have soon three babies. Two... Well, I soon one more baby and two little... Guys that used to be babies. If I love children, you know what I hate? I hate abortion. I hate it. You can't love children, love little babies, but yet be okay with killing them. It, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense. Do you love people? If you love people, if you love people, you will hate murder. Do you see what I'm saying? If God loves his holiness, 
because it, it is his character, and he hates sin. And this is what we, we, we soften it. Yeah, but he hates the sin, but he loves the sinner, right? Let's read um, Psalms 5. Psalms 5, can I season our talk for a second? And I don't, I'm not trying to protect God. He doesn't need my protection. I've been meditating on a couple verses as I read these. One is in Genesis 11, and it says, Should not the judge of all the earth do the right thing? He does, he does the right thing. In Ezekiel, it says, God is not pleased in the death of the wicked. It doesn't please him. And then it says, therefore, turn. That's good. We read some of these verses. I want to, to give you the whole picture of God. Psalms 5.5 5 says, The boastful, let's start at 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell within you. That's what I just said. Five, the boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. It doesn't say you hate iniquity. It says you hate those who work iniquity. I have a hard time saying that. Like, I'm having a hard time saying that. God hates sinners. Okay? In your flesh, apart from Christ, you're not a friend of God. You know, three years ago, I was praying to the Lord, uh, Lord, I really want great thoughts of you. I want to really think great thoughts of you. How Psalms 5 5 fit? That, and when I say great, I don't mean like A+. Plus. I mean like, that's astonishing. These are astonishing thoughts because they blow my perspective of what the world has taught me about God out of the water. He hates all workers of iniquity. This is not one single verse either. I think there's five different places in the Psalms, in this, the first five chapters, that it says something like this. This is not an isolated event. If God hates sin, and He hates those who do sin, because they have made themselves an en- enemy. And one of the songs that was, uh, verses that I memorized was um, James chapter 4. Friendship with the world is enemy, enmity towards God. They have set themselves on opposite sides with Satan and said, God, I'm a, if I'm, I'm a friend of the world, I oppose you. And God says, I, appro- I oppose the proud. You, you have made yourself my enemy. Psalms 5.5. 5. 
These are, these are awful, awful thoughts of God, if that makes sense. What is he to do? What is he to do with mankind who has set himself up in a position that he is against God? Foolish. Nahum 1. Nahum 1 says, uh, God is slow to anger. He is. How slow? I'll tell you how slow. You still exist. That's how slow. Because God in his justice, as soon as you committed darkness in his holy light, it would be just and right for me to be destroyed. God is slow to anger. He is great in power, and he will not at all acquit the wicked. They do not get off. We do not get off. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. You sow to destruction, you reap destruction. I think one of the, 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 a very large disservice that we do as Christians is we unbalance God and we unbalance Jesus. And what I mean is we focus on one attribute of, of God. We focus on one attribute of Christ. And we've, we have taught and we've proclaimed that Jesus loves you. And God loves you. And we have capitalized on it. And it's so true. But it's not the whole truth. Just like the sun radiates beams of light at the exact same speed, they don't travel at different speeds, God's holiness radiates all of his character attributes at one speed. He is equally trustworthy, equally holy, equally just, equally righteous, and equally loving. And he will not swap them. That's what we do. We say God is love and he's just. God says, I am all of them, 100%, all of the time, full power. Do you get that? And if God, he, he doesn't trade one for the other. He's all of them, all of the time. What is he to do? I looked at, uh, I've been studying God's punishment for Three weeks now, it's been on my mind every day. I told my wife, that's all I think about. Like the studies that me and Tanner teach, it permeates our thoughts. This has been a, this has been a, a good one. It's made me very compassionate, it made me think of others, thankful for so many things. And I've, as I look at Christ and as I look at punishment, I am totally astounded I'm totally astounded at how much he speaks about punishment and wrath. In fact, he speaks more about it than any of the other authors in the Bible combined. I was shocked by that. Somehow, I read the Gospels and I, I skip over it or something. I don't know. But I, like, because our study has focused me and focused us as a group in...
like, this is what I've been focusing on. And I read, and I'm like, wow, again, Lord? And I can't believe how harsh you said that. And again, and again. Like, and he doesn't speak as a metaphor. He speaks of it as a reality, like a real thing. It's not just a, a scare tactic, which is a terrible way to teach what we're going to be teaching this evening. It's not meant to give you an emotional rise. It's truth. I'm not trying to scare you into anything, but what I'm, the truth, I would, I'm, the words telling you is very scary. It's a big difference. Christ taught about, in, in Luke 16, we're going to be going through what Christ taught about punishment through the eyes of Lazarus and a rich man. You can turn there. And uh, we're going to be kind of touching there and, and, and going other places. But feel free to turn there. Um, the good question, is this a parable or is this something that Jesus, because he was fully God, knew about? Did he know about something that was going on outside of this world Well, he was fully God? And wait, wait, I, I talked to Pastor Brian about this today and I was like, is this a parable? Because I've heard people on both sides of the fence. Or is this a real story? All of the other parables did not mention men's names. They just said there was a man was a woman. And, and the way that even they're, they're written, the parables are in their own category. And, and this, I believe, is a real story. Luke 16, 19. There was a certain rich man who had clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Do you know what the scripture says? That will happen to all of us. There is coming a day... It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. These two men faced, or will face, judgment. Psalms 1 says, therefore the, God, therefore the ungodly will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. There's coming a day where we will give an account we will give an account for what we have done on this earth. Um, Matthew 13, Jesus talks about it. He tells a parable of wheat, good wheat and tares. And he explains it and he says the wheat, they're the sons of God. The tares were the weeds that were sown in by the evil one. And there will come a day when God will send out His angels and He will gather them up, gather the tares from the wheat to be burned. I'm like, really, Jesus? Let me tell you another parable, Andy. There is coming a day when the Son of Man will call the whole earth to Himself 
and like a shepherd, he will have a rod and he will go out and he will divide the goats and the sheep just like that. Have you ever been to an auction? I've been to a lot of auctions and this is what they do. They have a stick with a piece of chalk on the end and they'll stand up there and they will start marking, think, take this one, take this one. Jesus says, someday I will do that and I will divide out the sheep, those who were mine, like a shepherd, and the goats, those who were not. Judgment is coming. It is appointed unto man once to die. Be sure your sins will find you out. Let's read Romans 2, 5 through 9 together. Romans 2, 5 through 9 says this, But in accordance, according to what is just, with your hardness and your impudent hearts, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render each man according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuous and doing good to seek for glory and honor and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey the unrighteousness and but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath. That all of those times in life where we have been God haters and we have been rebels, and First John calls us sons. Um, you are of your father, the devil. Jesus said, and uh, lawbreakers and criminals. We are storing up wrath for that day. We are storing up condemnation for that day. That's intense. Here's the big question. What's the penalty? What is the penalty? When we stand before Christ and He divides. And if I am found to be a sinner, what is my penalty? Revelations 14.10 calls it the wrath of God. Revelation 6.16 calls it the wrath of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but if you... If thinking of God's wrath doesn't invoke some sort of terrifying something in you, you don't get it. Like the God who called it into existence, the God who causes all that was caused, everything, his wrath, that's Revelations 14.10 says, is that is the punishment, it is the wrath of God, it is the wrath of the Lamb who is Jesus. Let's read Revelations 21.8 together. This is going to introduce two things that a sinner justly deserves before a holy God. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, 
the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The other thing that a sinner justly deserves is the second death. The first death, for it is appointed to man once to die, this, this flesh, it's going to pass away. Guarantee it. But this is the second death, the destruction of the soul, the destruction of the, the inner me. The third thing that was briefly mentioned in here, in the Old Testament, it was called, it was tr- the original uh, language is Sheol. In other words, is the pit, the grave. Almost every single time it's translated hell. In the New Testament, Hades, which is almost always translated hell. Gehenna, which is almost always translated hell, or the phrase lake of fire. Gehenna, um, I always just thought of it as, a, as, a, as the dump south of Jerusalem, that Jesus was teaching. Like There were times when he was teaching, and he was close to this area, and um, there was this, and I'm not sure, but they say that there was a garbage dump that was continually burning where they would dump carcasses and they would dump their trash. And he, and he would use that as a metaphor that would talk about destruction. But there's a much more vivid illustration that I think Jesus was putting his finger on. And you read through the Old Testament, this was the place, Gehenna, where the rebel Israelites offered their children up for burning sacrifices to the god Moloch. It says they went through, they put their children through the flame. And it was, it was a place that was abhorred. It's a place of terrible destruction. It's more than just a dump. It was a place where the Jews were, it was a shameful history. I think one of the things we do as, as people is we, um, we do a good job of dumbing things down. We, we get this idea of heaven, like sitting on a cloud with a harp. And we're like, really? We get this idea of hell as a guy with a pitchfork poking people. The, 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 you're not going to find that in the scripture. So what, what is it like? What is hell like? It's, it's good for you. If I love you, I will tell you. Do you realize that? It's in here because you should know about it. And if I didn't love you, I would just skip it. So don't tune me out. The first thing. And this is one of those things that I wrestle with again. Matthew ten twenty eight. Let's read it together. This is Jesus speaking. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We have this misconception about hell, that that's where the devil lives. It's not. It's a place that was created but not as a home for Satan. 
not as a home for the devil. It was actually created for them. We'll read that later. But fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body. That him is in capital letters for a reason. That's God. This is God's wrath. It's not Satan's wrath. It's Satan's, it's his end, but it's not, it's not his wrath. Deuteronomy 32.22 says that God's anger burns to the lowest parts in hell. Revelations 4.14.9 and 10 describes hell as the full strength, the full strength of the wrath of God. Full strength, all out, full on. Why? Because that is what an affront against a holy God deserves. Because if God was to hold back, he would no longer be just. And he will not do, he cannot do that. He cannot deny himself. Matthew 25, 41 says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. Ecclesiastes 9, 10 says... While you were on this earth, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Because in Sheol, in Sheol there will be no learning. What does that mean? Whatever you can find to do, do it with all your might. Because in hell, there will be no thinking, no, no furtherance of thought. You will not learn anything. Nothingness. And when I say nothingness, I mean the nothingness of, you know, like, I've learned something new. Um, I've, I've, I've grown in this way. No, that's over. Judgment. So Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Job 21, it, 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 this is a, people will, will say, how can hell be dark, but yet there's fire? Right? Doesn't fire produce light? Job 10.21 says it's total darkness, where even the light will be as dark. See, you don't get it. I don't get it. It's it's totally outside of my frame of thought. Even the light that the fire produces will be as the dark. Ezekiel 32.41. What's going on here? is God is talking about Sheol. And he's describing all these cities, like wicked, wicked cities that are being thrown into, into, into Sheol. And he calls them their grave. And there's, there's, you can read it if you want to in another time. Ezekiel 32. And then it says, And Pharaoh will see them, and he will, and he will see them and he will have regret. What does that mean? Pharaoh will see the armies that he led and he will have a regret. Apparently in hell there will be some sort of sight. It will be darkness, but there could be the possibility of sight with the sight of regret. Why? <laughs> Not them. Really? That's what it says in Ezekiel 32:41. Matthew 7:12 says broad is the way to destruction. Narrow is the other way, but broad is the way. What does that mean? See, as Christians, as people, 
We have this idea that everybody, there's so many believers. There's so many people out there. It's not what Jesus said. He said, it is a narrow gate. It is a narrow way. And it's broad to destruction. There will be multitudes, multitudes who have, for their life on this earth, shook their fist and hated God and they, they, they will get, we, I wrestle with these words, what is deserved is coming. Matthew 8, and through Matthew, it talks about weeping. It talks about gnashing of teeth. It talks about torture, agony, punishment. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, everlasting destruction. Jude 6 says, everlasting chains. This is a, something that um, I've been thinking about recently. Will there be degrees of hell? Is it one, is it an equal plane, or will there be degrees of hell? We just read Romans 2, you are heaping up condemnation for the day of judgment. The person, will, will Hitler, does he have more condemnation than Joe Schmo? I don't know. This is what Jesus said. On the day of judgment, it will be worse for these cities who have heard and rejected it than it is for Sodom and Gomorrah. That sounds like degrees of judgment. That's interesting. God is just. What did you expect? What's on the mind? What is on the mind of a person? Um, in the 80s when uh, Mount St. Helens blew. I believe there was one death. His name was Harry Truman. He was an old man who had a cabin at the foot of Mount St. Helens. And again and again, they said, you need to get out. And he's like, this thing's never blown. It's not going to blown. It's not going to. I'm staying right here. Can you imagine what was on his mind when he started to hear that mountain rumble and he saw that wave of mountain, if he saw it, coming towards him in that thought of, I was wrong. Oh, man. <laughs> like just the reality and the humility of, I was wrong. I think... Um, Luke sixteen twelve, the rich man, he begs to send word to his brothers. Remember that? He says, please, if you can just send one man back. I have five brothers. You've got to tell them. Do you hear what he's saying? You don't want to come here. This is a regretful place. Philippians 2 says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Every, every, every. Like, people won't be thrown into hell saying, what's going on? No. They know. They're not. In Revelations 5.13, it says that every creature on the earth, and in the earth, and under the earth, they're all going to fall at the Lamb's feet. They will know. Humanity will not be cast into hell 
with the mindset that this was unjust. We will have perfect knowledge of who Christ is and perfect knowledge of who I am. And what is going on in their mind is this is right. I deserved this. I am getting what I deserved for my sinfulness against a holy God. That's intense. That's what's going on in the mind. This is right and just and good. Luke 16, 26, Lazarus says, Can you send, can you send one person with one drop of water to ease my suffering? And in, and in the story that Jesus tells, Abraham says, No. Even if we wanted to, there's a great gulf fixed. We can't. It's a place of no return. You don't, it's not a purgatory. It's eternal. It's everlasting. It's not a place where you get corrected. That's now. After now, it's too late. There's a great chasm fixed. We can't go back and forth to ease any of your suffering. Jude 7 says, It is eternal fire. Revelations 20.10 says, Tormented day and night forever. Daniel 12.2 says, Everlasting shame and contempt. Matthew 25.46 says, Eternal punishment. Matthew 9.48, Jesus quotes from, I believe, Isaiah, where their worm, their inner person, inner soul, the inner thoughts, the who, it does not die. The, the inmost does not die. It's eternal. I'd like to, as I wrap up, before we go into our small groups, I do want to hit some of the hard questions. Because there, there's a lot of hard questions, like, this doesn't seem fair. How can, how, how does God justify, let's say I died tomorrow. Say one of you died tomorrow. You were sent to eternity. How would God justify 35, 25 years to an eternity of punishment? That doesn't seem right. That's a good question. Let me ask you this. Satan rebelled one time. Do any of you have a problem with Satan being thrown into hell? Or do you think he should be redeemed? See, I would guess that if we took a poll, you would all think that that was just and good. Now, here, here's the facts. I have, create, I, I have committed the same type of crime as Satan. I've rejected God. And therefore, I deserve the same type of punishment. Sin demands the same type of punishment. John MacArthur said it this way, We can't think in scope of time. We're talking of eternity. Like, get, like take your mindset of time, throw it out. Okay? An infinite crime, sin, against an infinite Holy God demands an infinite punishment. An infinite crime 
against an infinite God demands an infinite punishment. Forget time. There is no time. It's just eternity. It's forever. Here's the truth of it. You want to talk about fair? It isn't fair that anybody... It would be fair if every single person would be destroyed upon the first sinful breath they took because they have not loved the Lord their God with all their heart. And therefore, they have been a blot of darkness, a spot on a holy garment, and they should be gone. That would be fair. That would be just. But us in our self-conceited ways, we say, God, what are you talking about? That's not fair. There's a lot of, there's several doctrines. The doctrine of annihilism. What is that? Is that man would go to hell and be not consumed for eternity, but he would be consumed and gone and cease to exist. For instance, Matthew 10.28 says, Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So if your body is destroyed and your soul is destroyed, you cease to exist. The only problem is, is that when you look through these verses, the word destroy does not mean, it means destruction. It does not mean the um, destroy as in cease to exist. And what do you do with verses like Matthew 25.46 that talk about everlasting punishment and the righteous to everlasting life? And the word for everlasting is the same word. You see, if you start to play games with that, you play games with heaven. Are you willing to do that? No everlasting torment? Okay. No everlasting heaven either. Because it's the same thing. It's the same word. And you start trying to do like these neat tricks with Scripture, and it's like Proverbs 1 says, you cast a net for yourself. Another one. Uh, let me keep going here. Jesus said, Matthew 9.48, where the worm does not die. The doctrine of inclusivism or universalism. And we do these things to, to pad God. To, to ask, like, we, I'm sorry what Scripture says this. We try to accept things that aren't there. Romans 1.18 tells us no, that universalism, inclusivism, pretty much the idea is that eventually everybody gets into heaven. Um, big book last year. Some of you may have read it. Some of you may have never heard of it. A um, fellow wrote a book called Love Wins. And the idea is kind of a semi-purgatory idea where you go through, and because of your rebellion, you go to hell, but... It's a chastisement to where you're like, okay, God, I throw up my arms, love wins, and eventually everybody goes to heaven. But Scripture doesn't say that. I mean, I would like to believe that, honestly. But I can't. I'm bound by God's Word. I can't believe things that God hasn't said. Because where does that, that, that leaves me with nothing but my opinions. And who cares? People say things like, well, I just can't believe a God like that. Really? What? 
Who are you? Little ant on the anthill saying, I can't believe it. God, I can't believe in a God like What are you talking about? You don't create your own realities, people. Truth is not relative. God states it, and it is. We live with it. And we got his word. Listen up. You've got to listen. Here's some other interesting verses. What about people who have never heard? Romans 5, 9 says that there's every tongue, tribe, and nation are gathered around the throne. There is no people who have never heard. There is no people who are innocent. Romans 1.18 says that God has given sufficient knowledge to every man to condemn them. He has given sufficient knowledge for you so that you say, God, I hate you. That's enough. And, and, and there's no person who will be in eternal judgment who would have repented if they would have, if they would have only heard. There is no person. They, they all we all have had enough knowledge from the creation to be condemned. And you've got to explain to me then, if there's no nation who's never heard, how they got around the throne. Because Christ's revelation says they're there. Okay? Somehow, God made a way. He got the Bible to them. He brought a missionary to them. He took one of them to where the Bible was or scripture was, and he brought them back, there's only one way. The rich man said, if you would just send somebody from the dead, surely they would have heard. Abraham says, if they didn't believe the law and the prophets, even a man rising from the dead would not make a difference. See, scripture's the only way. And God, he'll get it there. He's sovereign, right? He's good, right? Closing question. We say, and I talked about this a little bit already, how can a loving God send people to hell? He is also equally holy. He is also equally just. He is also, also equally righteous. If he starts letting people off in love, he denies his justice. Would it be right for a man who, is, who has been a mass murderer to get, to, to get off lightly? No, it wouldn't be just. God is perfectly just. And he will by no means acquit the wicked. He is equally all of those all the time. Is he a loving God? Come back. You'll hear about that. Uh, unbelievably loving. Unbelievably loving violently loving. What is my response to hell as a Christian? What, is, what should be your response to hell? Romans 8.1 says that there is therefore for those who believe no condemnation. Hell for the believer is not to be a thing that is feared. If it frightens you, I'm going to say two things. Make sure you're calling. Two, evaluate your conduct. Because if you're living a lifestyle that's worthy and deserved of hell, this should freak you out a little bit. 
Maybe it is a sanctifying moment. It is very sanctifying for me as I studied this to be like, whew, that was, that, was, that was not a holy thing. And I know what that deserves. The other thing, and I'm speeding up, I'm sorry, I'm taking more time than I anticipated, is we cannot think of hell devoid of the reality of people. We're very good about talking about things as if nobody's going to go there. That's not true. On purpose, I studied this where there was people all around me so that I could remember the reality that it's not just some heady subject, but there are people all around me who are going there. Okay? If this does not drive you to have compassion on people, you don't get it. This should drive you to have extreme compassion for people. D.L. Moody, somebody said of him, I will listen to him talk about hell because he never talks about it with the absence of tears in his eyes. He he realized the reality of it. Third thing, humility. 1 Peter 4.18 says, The righteous are scarcely saved. Don't forget it. The righteous... If you are in Christ, you are scarcely saved. It's what you deserved too. Should give you great humility. You are not. Don't forget that you. <laughs> Jude twenty three says, "Remember, you are like brands pulled from the fire." This is a. This was a tough one. It's been a tough study. As we look at the God's wrath of God, and the wrath of God, His justice has been violated in what I deserve. I would encourage you as you get into your small groups and take a few minutes to pour over some of the verses, write a few down to think about. Don't skip ahead. Like if you want to know the greatness of God and have compassion for people, you're going to think about this. It is sanctifying. It is good. It's in Scripture. What we're going to do, it's a very abrupt ending, and that's okay. If it's your first time here, um, we have a bunch of sheets that have pretty much all of the Scripture that I just quoted for you written down. And uh, we're going to break up into groups. If you don't have a sheet to write down a couple, we'll get you a sheet. We have Bibles for people who don't have Bibles. If you have questions... If you want to talk, if you want to look at God's word, this is a good time to do it. Um, I'm going to ask you to pick up your chairs. There's tables around the room. And then for about 20 minutes, we're going to look at some scripture, and then we'll close up with some singing. We're going to pray now. And then after I'm done praying, we can be, dis- we can be dismissed to the tables. Lord, um, Your word is very terrifying. Um, I just can't wait to keep talking about the grace that is to come, Lord, because I realized what I've been saved from. I have been saved from your wrath. I've been saved from your wrath, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, so much for what you've done on the cross, Lord. 
Lord, may this study help us to love people and not be prideful and arrogant and boastful. Forgive us, Lord, and help us to to love what's coming. Lord, if there are people here who are fearful, I pray, Lord, that you would ease their fears either by the gospel so that they could know that they can escape your wrath, Lord, or by the sanctifying work that we need to confess our sins, Lord. I know what I deserve. I'm not a fool. I've seen it. Pray that you'd help us with your spirit, Lord. Thank you for your guiding word. In your holy name, amen.